Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap on the Thunder Detroit Pistons game. Summer League debut, all the lights were put onto this game. You have number one pick, Cade Cunningham, making his debut against the Thunder, and the number six pick, Josh Giddy. And there was a lot to talk about from this game. So immediately when this game starts, the Thunder, they get the tip off. And then for whatever reason, they have to do a side out because the timer was not running. Like the score, the scorekeeper was not doing their job. Whatever the case was, they had to replay it. So I think two seconds got shut off the clock and then there was a side out. Things went naturally after that. And Josh Giddy crossed the timeline here. And he wanted a high ball screen. High ball screen from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Hits Cade Cunningham perfectly. And whoever his man was, I think it was Tyler Cook, just completely latched on to JRE. So there was so much separation. Josh Giddy just swerved right around them, put on a quick crossover, and he was gone. He got a safe two-handed slam to go up 2-0. to zero. And then the Pistons, they went blank on their first possession, and Teo Maladon took it right to the Pistons' teeth to give the Thunder a quick 4-0 lead. But then, immediately after that, Josh Giddy started stumbling, and it was off a- another drive from him, about a minute or so, uh, got ticked into this game once he uh, you know, suffered this sort of injury, but he started to drive in again, and then he came down a bit awkwardly with his ankle, and we did not know that at the time. It just looked like a awkward fall, and he looked shaken up. Like it took him a second to kind of collect himself again. He was hobbling. He was still trying to play in the contest, though. But it was pretty obvious that something was up. And Grant Gibbs signaled to place Rob Edwards into the game for Josh Giddy, and there was, you know, a I think it was a free throw, like little bit after this you know situation so it seemed like Edwards was gonna check in Giddy was going out but it looked like Edwards actually got shooed back to the sidelines because whenever there was an opportunity for Edwards to come in he was not there and Josh Giddy got to remain in play so Giddy played for around five minutes in the stint of the first quarter and then he got pulled and by that point when Giddy you know, got pulled. The situation was not that great for the OKC Thunder. The Pistons, they knew Giddy was hurt. They took serious advantage of the situation and they put up 12 consecutive points in a three-minute span to go up 12 to four early. And then you had to start kind of working from behind because you had Cade Cunningham who started to feel it. He riveted down two consecutive three-point shots, almost identical setup on both of them. And it started to get a bit dangerous. So the Pistons, they're trying to knock on this door of being up double digits early, and they finally were able to crack the case. Thunder stood around for a bit, but the closing 13-4 run from the Pistons really spelled some doom for the Thunder. And a lot of it came from Luke Garza, actually. This is a big man out of Iowa. He was, I believe, the national player of the year in college. So There is a lot of hype surrounding him, but due to his play style, he got picked 52nd, and he made everybody look foolish early because he had five quick points consecutively to start that 13-4 drive, and by the end of the quarter, 
the Detroit Pistons were up 26 to 14 and Oklahoma City was out from services in Josh Giddy. And it was not pretty. When you were checking out how the Thunder were shooting and where the point distribution was going, it was almost solely off of free throws or right around the basket. And it's not like they weren't trying to shoot threes. They most definitely were, but they weren't falling in. They shot one of eight from distance, and the only three came from Rob Edwards. So no one in the starting unit had any sort of distance on them. It was all about working on the pick and roll, working on drives, and trying to initiate contact inside, which works out pretty well, but you have to be physical, number one. Number two, you're working on a much taller Detroit Pistons team. JRE is just six foot nine. Josh Giddy six nine. He was out, and Oscar Da Silva was pretty much playing off the bench. So they didn't have the height, and the calls were just not going the way they needed to. And for the Pistons, they did not have to worry about bailouts. They were playing strictly basketball, and they were crushing it. They shot five of ten from distance in the first ten minutes, which is how long the quarters are. And it seemed like they were good to go. There was no momentum for the OKC Thunder, and they were ready to put a bow on things and head on to game number two. But that wasn't going to stop the Thunder. And there was news heading into the second quarter that, you know, really had some question marks on it, but we knew something was up. And that was Josh Giddy heading back to the tunnel. We did not see him return, as you guys will know, but. Yeah, he was done after five minutes, so they had to look towards the bench. You had Teo, who was exhausted. Trey Mann was in the starting unit, JRE. You're looking at players like Josh Hall and Jalen Horde to be productive, and that they were. There was a 6-0 starting run by the Thunder that put them kind of in close grip. They were just six points away, and then they kept going. All six of those points came right around the cup, and they did not want to focus on three-point shots. They scored 12 points in the paint in a 15-2 run, and that actually gave them the lead in doing so. So they got up 29-28, to I'd say four or five minutes into the frame, and then you got stuck in this match where you're just passing the lead back and forth. There's ties mixed in because there are a lot of free throws. It got messy, but there were four lead changes in a minute span and then the thunder got right back into the you know the mix of things because they got their bench out guys like Teo they're coming in fresh and he was ready to rock and roll so he was getting fouls he was really good at penetrating in the second quarter and it helped to get them up 42 to 38 by halftime which was really just improbable when you check out the scenario they had to outscore the pistons 28 to 12 when they did not have a three-point shot in their arsenal. So it was very strange to see it, but also it was just invigorating to watch them kind of rally back because just as we saw with the Thunder last year and even the OKC Blue, the second quarter just seems to be their moment. You know, when everybody, especially on the other side, might be getting comfortable, they're always willing to strike. And they did that, and because of it, the Pistons, they hit halftime a little bit frightened by things, and that they should have been. And the Thunder, they were not great from the floor. They shot 2 of 14 from distance in those first 20 minutes, but they did compensate from that. And I mentioned the paint, but the free throw line really 
was their saving grace, and they shot 10 of 15 from the stripe. So that outnumbered the Pistons by a lot in that category, and it really just helped diminish the fact they hit five three-point shots in the first quarter of play. But when you check out where the points were coming from, there was a duo brewing in Vegas between Teo Maladon and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Teo, he had nine points and seven assists by halftime, and right next to him, Jeremiah Robinson Earl led the game in points. He had 12, and he put 10 of those 12 up in the first quarter. So things were looking very solid between those two, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he was even flashing some shots from distance. So they kind of had the Pistons wondering, you know, how can we stop them? And for them, they didn't really have that method. You know, they were shutting them down from three, of course, but they were getting too handsy. And the big primary issue early for the Pistons happened to be that they just did not have a set reliable number one option. And Cade Cunningham, that should be your guy. You're picking him number one overall. You put the ball in his hands and you let him orchestrate. He only had six points by half, and I think he was shooting two of seven or two of eight by that time. One of the reasons why that was the case, he wasn't the guy with the ball every time passing the timeline. In fact, he was actually giving outlet passes to other teammates, such as Killian Hayes. And Killian Hayes is not a shot creator like a Cade Cunningham would be. So you had this kind of bristling between the two, and... Because of it, you didn't have any double-digit score. You didn't have someone to give it to and just let them feast on the block. It wasn't existent for them, and that's why, even though they looked much better shooting the basketball, they just had no real traction. And going into the second half, they were looking to pick some up, and they didn't have any real glaring, uh, you know, big selling point early, and neither did the Thunder, really. It took them until the two-minute mark to hit a three-point shot. So it was just mid-ranges, and truthfully, they weren't even looking at the mid-range. They were two, three feet away just driving in or putting up second-chance shots or at the foul line. That's about as uh, far their, uh, their range was in the third quarter. But the lid got taken off by, of course, Teo Maladone. And then on the other end, Sadiq Bey fleshed out a three-point shot, and that was it, silent from distance from that point, so you were just checking out who was scoring more right around the basket, and that was the Oklahoma City Thunder. They shot 20 points in the paint, so I guess they made 10 uh, in the frame, while for the Pistons, they only had seven shots made in the paint. That's 14, so the six-point advantage was really just telling because it got them up 67 to 57 heading into the fourth quarter so the comeback was serious for the thunder and they put themselves in a position where unless there was this colossal you know fallback where they couldn't make a shot they were going to come out of this victorious and it looked like that was going to be the case no one was shooting particularly well in the fourth and at the five minute mark you know there wasn't a lot of razzle dazzle the thunder they shot three of ten through the first five but the Pistons had three turnovers, and they were shooting two of six from the field. So it was still a 10-point lead for the Thunder, and they just had to hold on for dear life. And that they did. In fact, they did not have much more scoring, if at all. 
and it was okay because the defense was there and they actually held the Pistons to crickets for an extra minute. So you're talking inside four minutes once the Pistons make a shot or even get a point. They started off with a Tyler Cook free throw. So it was a nine point game with inside four minutes. You should be pretty safe. Make one or two shots. You're putting the nail in the coffin and you're saying goodbye to the Detroit Pistons. But they were not hitting their shots and they let them stay in the game. So this singular point exploded into six in a matter of a minute. So at the two minute warning, it was 76 to 72 going in the Thunder's favor. And, you know, even though they were up by four, there was still some pressure on them because they just could not make any sort of jumper. And it was because the Pistons were putting on a lot of pressure and they continued to do that. Not even by the time you reach the timeline. You had a guy like Killian Hayes or Saban Lee, even Cade, trying to put the pressure on you. And then once you get to that three-point arc, you have everybody just encompassing you and making you make some pretty bad decisions. So it was working out for them, and it continued to work. They had Jeremiah Robinson Earl right down low. He was slashing inside. And Killian Hayes was his matchup. Hayes is a point guard. Robinson Earl... He was playing like a center in the game, so it shouldn't be an issue there, but Hayes was active. He got both his hands on the ball. It was a jump ball, and on the jump, luckily, Jeremiah Robinson Earl tipped it back, went to Trey Mann, and then it was a missed shot. Now, on the other side, all hell was kind of breaking loose. Everybody was just running up the floor. This is where you make or break things. You could not make anything in a half-court setting in the fourth, or really at all. It came from pushing the tempo, and the ball got in Cade Cunningham's hands. Or at least, that's what we presumed would happen. Killian Hayes got an outlet pass, or an entry pass, to begin things, and he was looking to rifle the ball down the court. And he's on the left side of the floor, and he's probably at the opposing, I'd say, three-point line. And Cade Cunningham... He's just sprinting down the right sideline, trying to make things happen in transition. Killian Hayes is known for bounce passes. He had a crazy one against the Thunder last year, and he looked to replicate that. So he threw this really high-pressure bounce pass, but he kind of overplayed where Kate Cunningham would be. So he had it out maybe five or eight feet too far, and the ball just went sailing into the sidelines and probably hit a fan, honestly. So it was a turnover for them, and the Thunder were able to just continue to drain the clock down. And Maladone had it this time. This is where you have even more pressure. Hayes is on you. The center's trying to get back on you as well. And then he was just throwing over-the-shoulder passes from the top of the key. A beautiful dime to Jalen Horde down low, but he could not catch the ball. He bobbled it. And he had Cunningham on him, still wanted to take the layup. And Sekou Dumbayao was right behind him for the rejection. So the play keeps going. Three seconds left. I think it's like a botched inbounds pass. And it's just more shenanigans on top of more shenanigans. The Pistons, they're looking to push the pace. Less than a minute to go. They needed a three right there with a the four-point game. And they just couldn't really get a look. So they're out here passing it from right wing to interior, back out to the wing, interior. They settled on a left corner, Cade Cunningham three. And there was some defensive pressure on him, but it didn't look like it really 
was all that concerning to him. He got in a really fluid three-point shot, and if you guys remember from his OK State days, he's kind of clutch. Not this time. It hit the front iron, and that was kind of all she wrote. The Thunder, they just had to dribble it out, got it to like 10 seconds, missed a shot, and there was just no time remaining for the Pistons to work with. So the Thunder got out barely 76-72 to in their Summer League debut. Scoreless in the final five minutes, but they were still able to prevail due to their defense. They shot 0 of 11 in that stint, by the way. So it was really ugly, but they were able to kind of keep the lid on the Detroit Pistons. Overall, when you check out why they won, it's not the offense. I'll go into the Thunder stats. It's not much better than the Pistons. In fact, it's not really that better like at all Uh, you know they scored four more points but the way they got them was not too significant and the Pistons they struggled massively as well overall the Pistons shot 28 of 71 from the field that's 29.8 percent so nothing's falling and then from three when you want to go that route they shot seven of 29 now that's less than a quarter of the shots falling in that's 24.1 percent and one of the big deals with this had been you know since they weren't making shots they were kind of getting angsty and in transition specifically down the stretch you had these messed up passes they had 20 team turnovers whether it was through an offensive foul a missed pass a violation there were a lot of those racking up for them so 20 turnovers kind of was the nail in the coffin for them if they had you know, five less, 10 less, they probably would end up uh, on top of this actually winning the game. But that was not the case. And that is why the Thunder were able to stay on top of things. And when you check out what the Thunder did, they weren't that great overall either. They shot 30 of 83 from the field. That's 36.1%. And from distance, this might be in contention for the worst in summer league history. I don't know though. They shot 3 of 27 from beyond the arc. It's a good cut of shots there, but it was just brick after brick. No one could get the bounce on their shots, and that was an 11.1% conversion rate. That is bad. You can do a better job just guessing on those bubble sheets during tests. You can get higher than 11.1% doing that. So it was really just a crapshoot when you want to go into the numbers of things and the thing that was their saving grace obviously it was on how they're playing inside they did outscore the pistons 50 to 36 in the paint and then they also had three more free throw attempts than the pistons it was 20 to 17 in that margin but the big deal was unlike the pistons they weren't making just errant passes over and over again i mean they shot worse overall from the field than the Pistons but they shot 12 extra times because they didn't have 20 turnovers they only had 10 as a team and they were able to kind of recuperate from those mistakes on the off chance that they did have any so that was kind of the key there it was you know keeping them kind of on their feet the whole game while you know they too were on their feet but that second quarter comeback really helped set the tone and put the pressure on on the Pistons, even when, you know, it kind of should have been flipped 
onto the Oklahoma City Thunder. And one of the reasons why the pressure was never flipped and why they never sank as a team in OKC, it's because Teo Maladone just did him. He is really one of the most professional guys in the league. Now, when I say that, take it with a grain of salt, but for 20 years old, he has been around the block and he played more than anybody else did on the Thunder roster last season and it projected perfectly onto this game. He had 15 points on the game and 11 assists. The Pistons, as a collective, had 11 assists. So there was no passing, no great communication between the Pistons. There wasn't great communication between the Thunder either. Like they only had 13 assists, but they just had to place the ball in Teo's hand and he would do all the magic necessary. Whether it was pick and rolls or kicking out to the corner, we know how he is as a passer. He was gunning off passes through four intertwined hands. Didn't make sense how he was doing it, but he just does it. And he just feasts off of competition like this. So the big deal was just how he was lasering off the passes, but the offense was pretty crucial as well. And he got to the line actually a hefty portion of times, and that's where he got the majority of his points actually. He shot 6 of 7 from the foul line, and then from the floor, he shot 4 of 11. One of those makes came from downtown, shot 1 of 5 overall, but he was just there to be the playmaker. And it kind of makes you wonder, because as I talked about, Josh Giddy placed 5 minutes. How different would this team have looked had Josh Giddy been available the entire game I think the ball would have been in his hands he would have been the one getting the assists and Teo might have been relegated to an off-ball role so it was refreshing to see Teo and he really set the tone not just for the Thunder pace-wise but also the Pistons and how they were kind of playing because they didn't have any great ball movement Teo Maladone, he was just a one-man team in terms of getting the basketball around, and he was placing it in everybody's hands. And the biggest recipient to him happened to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl. 32nd pick from the season, had to trade pick 34 and 36 to get him. Some saw it as an overpay off this one game. It really should not matter that they gave up two picks because he was dominating from start to finish. He played 27 minutes in the game and he scored 14 points in that time, but he also had six rebounds, two steals, and a block. So he was everywhere on the court, but the big thing was on the offense. And when setting screens with Teo, he could roll and he could also pop. He hit one three during the course of the game off of a pick and pop actually, and then he'd just drive in and Teo would be able to hit him up. And he's 6'9", he played center, but he really doesn't play like a center. He plays like Isaiah Roby. And when you check out how Roby played with Teo in the preseason games last season, I draw a lot of comparisons to those two as a duo to actually what we saw in the game Sunday night. Because you have a guy who, you know, he's pretty nimble. He's faster than your average center. But on the flip side of that coin, he's also, you know, able to box or set a valuable screen for a guard and create for 
Teo Maladone. So it's that perfect blend of things. And it wasn't like the Pistons had Isaiah Stewart. He was on the lineup. I guess he just didn't get any playing time. But he was playing guys like Tyler Cook, who's kind of of that same breed. But he was still dominating against them, which I think makes it even more of a positive in his regard. So he was really just getting down low and making things happen, but he also was stretching the floor out, and even though he wasn't shooting, he shot one of four from distance, it was enough to take defenders out a couple steps and make some more avenues off of drives, so that's what I was really impressed with with JRE. Also though, the defense was a major plus for him. I talked about the steals and the block that he recorded, but I mean, he was playing defense against everybody, and you really didn't see a, you know, a straight decline on who he was matching up against. Like, he was taking Tyler Cook, he was taking Seku, anyone who wanted a piece of him, he wanted to guard you at the perimeter. And he even did it against Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham could not turn the corner to save his life against JRE, and he really couldn't turn the corner on anybody, but that was the matchup that I really honed in on, and he did an excellent job in staying in front of him and not giving the corner up like many of the college players did when he was at Oklahoma State. So he got an A-plus grade from me, and I'd say so did Teo, no kidding. Trey Mann, he didn't have the most impressive game. Like If you look at the stat lines on ESPN, you'd think he just stunk. He shot 3 of 14 on the game, 0 of 4 from downtown, had 6 points, no assists a steal, and a block. But I'll tell you right now, Trey Mann was positive for this team, and it wasn't like his stats were ridiculous. We just talked about it. They were not great stats. But what he was doing on the court needs to be mentioned. He is so much faster than I originally thought. Now, when he was playing for Florida, and when you check his highlights, he's a pretty fast guard. He's six foot five, decent handle, but it didn't look like he was lightning quick as some of the other people in this class were. He's really quick, and he was taking people like Killian Hayes, like the Saban Lees, up top, and just blowing right by them. He just had to get going, whether it was between the leg, behind the back, just some move to get you know into his right hand. He was up and running. He was blowing right by them, and the three was not there. There were no step backs, but when he wanted to drive in, he did it. He took an extra step or two past his defender, and he had decent looks. Now, the thing with him, he didn't really want to take the contact like many others did on this team. He wanted to intentionally perform like some acrobatic sets to move around him. So if he wants to double clutch a layup, he's trying to go reverse, he did it. He just did not want to charge right at somebody, and because of it, he didn't even get to the foul line, but on the penetrations, he got the room, and a lot of those shots just didn't have a soft touch to them, and he had floaters where he got open, hit the front iron, had, you know, baseline drives where it's pretty much stuck between the back iron and the backboard, but it just kept rolling, rolling, and it slid to the side one way or the other. It just wasn't his game, and if he if he had rhythm, like he would have dropped twenty points, and there there's like no question, like he didn't even need to go to the three point line to do that. Just penetrations alone, he was ridiculous. So he can build off of this game. This is not one that you 
you know, go crazy about because the numbers were bad. But this is one of those games like what we had with Alexei Pogashevsky, where you take those good habits and move on to the next game. See if he has success. I think that he probably will in one of these uh, next couple of summer league games and just get his confidence going. I am a little surprised, though, that he did not want to shoot any threes. Like, he was known to do step backs. He wanted to take shots from 30 feet out wasn't part of the game plan for him and I don't think Grant Gibbs would dissuade him from shooting like that was kind of his calling card when he got picked 18th but he was just kind of hesitant like he wanted to kick it out to Aaron Wiggins Rob Edwards just he wanted to keep it moving he was playing hot potato from the three-point arc and I don't think that's something he needs to do he's a great shooter just as you know he wasn't getting touched from the inside there wasn't much of one from the outside Kind of had a low arcing shot today, but maybe that will get fixed in time. And one guy who also wasn't particularly amazing from distance happened to be Aaron Wiggins. And it did not matter because he was still really good for the team. He dropped 13 points off the bench, had 5 rebounds, an assist, and a steal in 23 minutes. He shot 6 of 11 from the field. In doing so, he shot 0 of 2 from downtown but that's not the big takeaway here the big takeaway is offensively this guy was selected to be a catch and shoot guy almost like a system player where his job almost solely rests in sitting in a corner sitting in a wing and taking shots off of kickouts he did not really do that at all he wanted to have the ball in his hands and he was so confident in the half court it was ridiculous i i really liked what i saw from him today and it's because he's driving in from the top of the key. He's not really fast. He's not beating you, turning the corner or anything. But he's just slowly inching forward and forward into the paint. And he's maybe like 10 to 8 feet out from the cylinder. And then he kind of gets into this post stance where, you know, he kind of has his back towards the basket. He's trying to feel out his opponent. And then he just went out and did like some spins. Like he's using his pivot foot, crazy footwork to do this. But I'd see like three, four, maybe even five times in the game. He's doing post spins on people. And, you know, he's making these steps count big time. Like he will, he took like two, three seconds making two steps with the basketball. And then he'd do these flip shots right around the rim. And he actually banked one in off a scoop and score. There might have been another post score for him as well. But his post game was really ripe today. And he even had like a mid-range turnaround where it either got rejected or it was like an air ball. It wasn't pretty. But he still had the confidence in those shots. And I think that's kind of what you want to look for in players. So for pick 55, like I don't know who you would have found that would have done a better job than him today. So I'm really happy with uh, what I saw. And then defensively, you know, he was meant to be a defensive specialist in the first place. The three steals are just an indicator that Sam Presti hit on that, but he hit on Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that's for sure, the two second round picks stole the show from the day, and even the third, when you want to talk about Teo Maladon, so the late round success was big here, actually ended up overshadowing the Detroit Pistons and all of their lottery and first round talent, Cade Cunningham, he was plastered all over ESPN's screen today, and that's supposed to happen like you can't knock them he's the number one pick and he was crazy in college he deserved to be all over social media all over the television screens 
but they didn't even want to talk about the Thunder prior to the game starting. It was, look at Cade Cunningham's accolades. Look at what he can do on the court. And he can do that. Like, you're not going to put too much stock in a one summer league game. If that's the case, you are just an absolute fool. But he didn't have a very impressive game. He got shut down. He didn't look, you know, too athletic. I don't know if that's a good uh, adjective to describe him with. But, you know, it's like he couldn't turn the corner. The handling was all right, but he couldn't make anything for himself. The shot creation was not really there for him today. And it showed up in, you know, how he played. He shot 5 of 17 overall in the game, and that only got him 12 points. Zero trips to the foul line. And if you guys watched March Madness or the Big 12 tournament, you would know Cade Cunningham really just lived and died from the charity stripe in some of these games. Like, he would be getting bailouts against Baylor or whoever, Texas, even though, they didn't, you know, they didn't finish that game properly. Like, he would just get to the line over and over, kind of just off a of bully ball, but there was nothing there. He wasn't trying to take the contact, and he was almost settling sometimes on, like, some post hooks, which weren't necessarily bad. Like, he was taking post hooks on Teo, for example. That's a three, four-inch height advantage his direction, so you can't be all that mad, but it just didn't seem like he was in his comfort zone. Like, he was not able to dominate, and I think partially, as aforementioned, it's because... He had to split the ball with Killian Hayes. That will get worked out. Both teams literally just started working with each other last Tuesday. So there is some growth that will need to take place. But, you know, a jump will be in order there. They got to work together. And, you know, he might need to put the ball in Cade's hands a little bit more often because he couldn't even get going in terms of passing the ball out. Only had two assists on the game. And on the flip side, he had five turnovers, and a lot of it was actually him getting a bit too happy trying to lodge passes in. Like, there were two transition ones that just were rifled in. Like, I know one was to Tyler Cook, who, in the play prior, could not catch a simple dish down low. Like, it was a perfectly placed ball, just had slippery hands there. And then he's trying to throw, like, a fastball to him on the other side of things in transition. So... I mean, that's not his fault. Like, those were good passes, but they just weren't working out too well with him. And just like I talked about with Killian, I think once they actually sit down as a team, figure out, you know, their philosophy, he'd actually be dominant. And he would have had like 10 assists in the contest, but there's some growing pains that will need to occur within the Pistons uh, come their next game. So, you know, he wasn't great. I mean, even from three, shot two of seven. It wasn't like a Jalen Green game from earlier in the day where you knew this was the number two pick. He was hitting everything on everybody. Cade was a bit more subtle about things. I don't think this game means much though in his actual stock. Like he'll be really good. Okay. He's going to be fine after this one game. You just got to look on to the next one there. And they had one other guy in Sadiq Bay who he's always been really good against the Thunder. He was good today, had 14 points and 12 rebounds while shooting six of 13 from the floor. And even Tyler Cook, who on Twitter, I think even on this pod, I was putting him in the category of going for a double-double. Did not go for a double-double today. He had 11 points and 5 rebounds. Shot 4 of 8 from the floor, 3 of 5 from the foul line. You know, he was just being athletic. Like, he was just trying to get the contact like the Thunder were. 
I think that's kind of the big benefit you get from a guy like him. And I actually learned today that he got waived by the team, which happened with Servetus. He's on this roster as well. I don't know how they kind of wrinkle that out. It's kind of an awkward relationship, but you know, he played pretty solid in this game. And a guy like Killian Hayes, he had six points, nine rebounds and five assists. So he was all right, but there just wasn't a lot going on and not really primary scores for them throughout the night. And like I said, with the Thunder, they had that big three kind of with Teo, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and then also Aaron Wiggins to top things off. When you want to check out guys beyond those three or four with man, there was still a lot of good impressions all, all around, I'd say. Jalen Horde as the starting power forward, I really like how they started him. I didn't know how they were going to do this. I thought maybe you'd have a guy like Trey Mann be a six man, but they wanted to have Teo, Trey Mann, and Josh Giddy all together. Also makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking, but he got to play in the starting unit. He had six points and 10 rebounds in the game, and, you know, he wasn't out there to shoot threes. You know, he's not a stretch guy. He was kind of played that way, and he was lodged in the perimeter. We didn't get to see him penetrate as much as I would have liked, and that's okay because most of those reps went to Trey Mann and his drives, which I thought were excellent from him, just not the right results, Um, but maybe he'll get a kick there. I do think the rebounds... Uh, go a long way with him though because the only person out rebound him was Sadiq Bay, and without Jalen Horde there would have been an issue because the Pistons they already flat out out rebounded them 49 to 39 in this game another person who I actually really enjoyed watching and I did not expect this was Charlie Brown Jr. and whenever he joined the Thunder last year I didn't have like a straight up opinion on him I was kind of indifferent like he looked good in the G League and he looked like a promising guy to take a swing on in his 210 days he wasn't wild like he wasn't a Moses Brown where he's joining and dropping double doubles like you need to upgrade his contract he was just he was there and I think this situation was bad because you know there wasn't a lot of winning going on anyways there were lots of blowouts and he still got this two-year deal Finished the first season uh, after like a day of regular season play. So he got out that awesome. He's non-guaranteed for this year though. And he needed to prove something in the game. Offensively, he didn't shoot that well. He shot 1 of 8, 0 of 3 from distance. Though the one make from him was like a foot away from a 3 ball. It was a left corner shot right over the outstretched arm of Cade Cunningham. But the defense was huge for him. He had a steal and two blocks in this game, but it was more about the pressure, I'd say, than the actual scorecard. Like, those numbers don't represent the impact that he had on this team. He had a plus-minus, a plus-15, that was the highest on the team, and you can say, like, that doesn't matter. I don't think it means that much, but in this particular circumstance, I actually think it does, because... Him just being on the floor allowed for so much versatility and so much switching on the defensive front that the Pistons were just jumbled up when he was out there. And it really came to fruition when you had Cade Cunningham just trying to take Charlie Brown Jr. And you would think Cade Cunningham would eat his lunch. That was not the case. He tried to go with one of his hallmarked step-back threes. 
it got stuffed by Charlie Brown Jr. And this was the moment where Doris Burke starts raving about Charlie Brown Jr. Just like she did with Lou Dort, I guess, two seasons ago now. So I thought it was kind of funny. It was a deserving moment from him, though, because he was locking up Kay Cunningham Jr. And I just said Kay Cunningham Jr. Kay Cunningham, excuse me, but he was making it hard on him. And I think that means a lot for next game because I didn't know if he was guaranteed a, a role on this team, really. I think he's still going to get 18, 19 minutes, probably more, depending on what we see in uh, Josh Giddy's future plans. Josh Hall only played 16 minutes, which was kind of confusing because he did get a qualifying offer. He was still good, though. Six points and four rebounds. Just came off of drives. He didn't want to shoot threes. That It was kind of to be expected for him to just be slashing inside, and he did a very good job at doing so. Now, Rob Edwards off the bench, I am just like ride or die with him right now. I think Rob Edwards will go off in one of these games, and this would have been the one to do so. He got in really early for the Thunder in this game due to Josh Giddy's injury. I think it was at the five-minute mark in the first where he officially got to check in, but the spotlight was on him. And he goes out, he hits a three-point shot, and I think before that, he had a free throw that he hit. So he had four points early. And I was thinking, you know, he's going to explode. Whenever the remainder of the blue team last year wasn't hitting threes, he was hitting threes. This is where he thrives. He did not hit many threes. That was the only three he made, and that was the only shot he made. He shot one of six overall, and all of those six went from the perimeter. So... I hope to see more from him. I hope they don't just blacklist him based off this game because Grant Gibbs knows like he'll have these off games and then he'll be your best player in the next one. So I don't think he's going to see a tick in minutes by any means. I just thought, you know, he might have been going off tonight and Oscar De Silva did a really good job and he's just that like big body center, kind of like Jeremiah Robinson Earl where he can do a decent bit of stuff, but He's not kind of solidified in one area. He had eight points and three rebounds in the game. All those points just came right under the rim off of dump offs from Teo and the likes. So I thought he was good just playing in the post. And we need a guy like him to win these contests because we can't just live off of a six foot nine Jeremiah Robinson Earl. You need backups. And he was a very solid one. Emmett Williams, power forward. He did not get to play in this game. And I don't know if he'll really get many minutes because of Oscar and Jalen Horde. You can go down the line. He didn't get time, though. And then two guards in Jalen LeCue and Ryan Woolridge also did not hit the deck. And this was a problem that I discussed in the days leading up to this. Like, their cut of, you know, the positions is kind of messy. Like, they have five point guards. They have you know, like three, four shooting guards, three small forwards. What about the power forward in the centers? And I think if they're, you know, there were like small forwards or power forwards, they might've got some time, but they had to deal with the competition of Teo, Trey Mann, Charlie Brown Jr. was kind of going off today. In addition to Wiggins and Edwards, like there's just so many guys in this backcourt already. It was hard for them to make uh, a spot here. And I would think that in the next one, you almost rotate. So like you have a team A, you have a team B, and some of these like AAU circuits. Let's just say they're team B. They'll probably get their chance 
uh, in Wednesday's game, which is the next one they have on the schedule. But they just didn't get their time to shine. And I hope that they do. They're both really good at attacking the basket. And specifically with Roll Ridge, I want to see how he shoots from three because he did not really mingle that much with the three last year, but it was kind of there with them. So I want to see if that would continue with him. He's not going to be rejoining the blue. He's already signed overseas, but it'd just be a good deal to kind of check him out. Love seeing Rob Edwards suit up in the game. You had guys like Lou Dort, SGA, Poku, Roby, Baisley, really anyone you can name. Even Mike Muscala was there, Ty Jerome. Like, yeah, anyone you can name, they were either in attendance or they were on the roster. Like, even Vit Kredge, who's not on the team officially, was on the sidelines in street clothes. So he's there, and I think it's just due to injuries. But that was kind of my takeaway from this game. Really good stuff from Teo, JRE, just all the draft picks were amazing. With Josh Giddy, that ankle sprain, we don't have a set timeline on this, and even Coach Gibbs didn't you know, jump the gun on what that evaluation will look like. I really hope we get to see more of him because this one ISO play at the beginning of the game oozed some potential. And he's, you know, he's kind of slower as a dribbler. We saw that in the five minutes. Like Teo was a lot faster in his movements, but you got to keep in mind, he was playing on a sprained ankle for four out of those five minutes anyways. So I think when we get him at 100%, that's when we can get some great evaluation. But even in that small sample size, we learned that, you know, he's pretty good. Um, hopefully, he is healthy, though, and he will be geared up for a couple of these Summer League games. But Teo held it down. Everybody held it down. And they dethroned the DraftKings number one contender for the Summer League Championship. So they're moving on to 1-0. In their next contest, they're going to be facing off against the New Orleans Pelicans. That's Wednesday. It's not going to be on ESPN2. I believe if you get the ESPN Now app, you'll be good to go, or just through NBA TV, but that is the next game, so I'll keep you guys up to date with that one. I'll get you some more content throughout the next week. Uh, it might not be every single day. We'll see how it shapes out. I'm pretty busy, but I'm going to try to make the time for it whenever I can, so just be geared up for that. On Wednesday and Thursday, you guys are going to get covered with game recaps and all of that. So hopefully you guys liked listening to this game recap. It's been a couple months, but trying to get back into the swing of things. Going to get four more shots at that in the next week or so. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.